what's up what's up what's up y'all thought this was martin didn't you nope it's trap therapist the radio show welcome this is trap therapist the radio show with dalicia barner lcsw i'm the host of this radio show and the founder of trap therapist an amazing brand that showcases mental health professionals who not only look like you but are from where you're from As a licensed clinical social worker who was born and raised in the projects, it's important for me to create safe spaces for people who have similar experiences. Through Trap Therapist, I'm able to provide a platform for other mental health therapists from urban low-income backgrounds to transparently share their stories in a way that will humanize therapists and in turn break mental health stigma. Trap Therapist is unique because it confronts the reality that just because a therapist is of color doesn't mean they've spent any portion of their life below poverty level or in environments rich with violence and crime. So if you, like me and all of my guests, grew up in the trap but want to heal from it, stay tuned to gain mental health knowledge and inspiration. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Trap Therapist, the radio show. Today, we have Ebony Dunnigan. Girl, did I say that right? Yes. Dunnigan. Okay. So we have Ebony Dunnigan. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist located in Flint, Michigan. She operates the Christian Wellness Center where she specializes in helping couples rebuild their relationship after an affair. Ebony is also a workshop presenter and conference speaker. Ebony is married with two children. When not taking care of her family, doing therapy, or presenting at workshops, Ebony dreams about traveling the country in an RV. That's interesting. We're going to have to talk about that. <laughs> so, hey, Ebony. Hey. An uh, RV? Yes. Listen, it's my husband. His name is Aaron. I don't want to keep referring to him as my husband. If Aaron would let me, I would move my business completely online and buy an RV and homeschool my kids and just go. That's interesting. You know, so it makes me think of who, it was a show when we were younger that had a family in an RV. And I feel like it was just, that was the show, but I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, I don't know, but I really want to do it. It is my life dream. Okay. Well, maybe when you retire. Maybe. <laughs> so I'm guessing he's just not, he doesn't want to do that. Well, he's more like, what are we going to do for money? And she's going to have to do everything. So let's be for real. I'm not about to be changing toilets and hooking stuff up and yes. all of the stuff that comes wrong with an RV life. So he would get stuck with that responsibility. Now, would you drive at least or you just want to ride? I would drive. I would drive. Okay. You're a good one because I don't like driving. I pretty much make my husband drive me everywhere. And I don't really have to make him because he likes it. But okay. I am okay with being chauffeured for the rest of my life. Like, I'm a Uber, Lyft, Uber <laughs> kind of person. Like, seriously. Yeah, I know. I pretty much drive everywhere. I'm kind of afraid of other people's driving, to be quite honest. That makes sense. That does make sense. And I, I actually am too, but I just, I don't want to drive, so I got to deal with my fear. <laughs> so let us actually get into the real interview. Your title is Playgrounds and Freeze Cups. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about why you chose those two items as what represents you, your childhood. Yeah, when I think about my childhood, that is literally what comes to mind. And it's funny because just the other day I wasn't feeling well, 
And my daughter, who was five, was like, Mom, I have something that'll make you feel better. And she went and she poured some juice in a cup and she froze it. And the next morning she was like, here you go. This is going to make you feel so much better. And I was like, oh, my goodness, it reminds me of chocolate. Like, it was literally making me feel better. And all it is is some frozen juice in a styrofoam cup. Then I'm going to flip upside down and then use a spoon to dig out the middle of it. Right? But I just remember when we were little, when I was little, we would always go to the playground. And on our way back from the playground, we would stop at the freeze cup lady house. Because there was always a freeze cup and a candy lady in the neighborhood. You can get a freeze cup for a quarter. And so... And we called them icebergs. Did y'all... Or did you actually call them freeze cups? We actually called them freeze cups. Okay. It's interesting how, like, in different parts of the nation or the world, you refer to the same thing with a different name. Yeah, it is. But it was a great time. And even with the playgrounds, like we went to the playgrounds unsupervised. My mom wasn't going with us. She was like, take your sister and take your cousins and stay together. And it was just a yeah. different time because now I would never let my child go to the playground by herself. I was thinking that. And, you know, I was also wondering, how does your daughter know about freeze cups? Because that's not something that most kids, you know, in this day and age know about. Like, I was even talking to someone recently, and they were saying that at Chuck E. Cheese's, there aren't any tickets anymore. There's like a card. You put your gift balance on a card. I'm like, what? (laughs) That is true. From our childhood, you know, are being kind of obsolete now. And I feel like freeze cups is one of them. So I'm actually surprised that your daughter knows what that is. So you must eat them a lot. I really don't. I have no clue. It's it's probably something she got off of YouTube. Wow. And she knew that it would cheer you up. She did. She also tried to eat it the next day, too. Like, I was like, is this for (laughs) me or you? (laughs) That's funny. Like, I changed my mind. It's for me now. <laughs> She's like, look, I made it. Can I have some? <laughs> that is so funny. And your daughter, how old is your daughter? She's five. She just turned oh, five in May. Okay. That's precious. So you did say you have two kids. Well, I said you did in your biography, which you provided. So you have two kids, a five-year-old, and then you have, is your other one a daughter, son? A son. So my son will be, he'll actually be three this month. Oh, so you have babies. Wow. Yeah. Bless the heart. Yeah, that's a lot. I know you do a lot as well, you know, opening your practice and kind of just working with couples and things of that nature and then having a family with such young children. So, yeah, can you talk to us a little bit more about how you balance all of those things? Oh, my goodness. I think... Now, we are to a place where we are really figuring it out, right? And so it really just came down to working as a team with Aaron. But we also have a great support system. Like my mom, my sister, my mother-in-law, Aaron's family, they're awesome. And so the whole idea that it takes a village, we've really tried to keep that and to really play into that so that we can raise our kids and they're always with family or they're always with us. I mean, they do go to daycare. My son goes to daycare. I homeschool my daughter, but my home, my son goes to daycare. Um, and that's for his own benefit, really. He needs all of this stuff that they are teaching him there because, mm-hmm. ooh, child. 
<laughs> that is different, but we, we've just learned to balance. And it has been difficult, especially in the beginning, because Aaron is um, in ministry. And so okay. when it comes to the black church, you know, when someone calls the pastor, he was an associate pastor at a church before he stepped down. But the idea is that when someone calls the pastor that he goes, that he's always readily available and so a lot of the times it left me feeling like a single mom. And it wasn't until we went to therapy that he could really understand that. So a lot of the changes and a lot of us really working together as a team has recently come in probably like the past three years. Okay. Wow. So really once your son was born, that's when you all started to be able to work together. Right. Okay. And I think, you know, a lot of times people don't realize how impactful therapy is because I'm a wife and I know that there are things I've told my husband a hundred times. They're probably the same vice versa. And for whatever reason, we don't believe each other about what the other person is saying about themselves. So if I'm like, my love language is words of affirmation and I need you to affirm me, he and he won't listen. <laughs> but then we go to therapy and you hear it in a different light. And then there's that third party. It just somehow the understanding increases from partner to partner. And it, it sounds like that's some of what you all experience, especially in relation to scheduling and like how to collaborate in caring for your children. Yes. Are you kidding me? Listen, Aaron, Aaron was like, he came home from therapy one day and he was like, babe, Therapy is amazing. I mean, mm -hmm. I never knew that stuff worked. And I was like, are you kidding me? This is literally what I do right. every day with my life. <laughs> and you're looking at me in my face saying, I didn't know that stuff worked. I was just like, well, I'm glad you enjoy it. But I think that as a therapist, like, we know that it works for our clients. But it's just something about being a client and seeing how it feels on the other side. Like, I remember yeah. telling my therapist one day, because she went out of town, I think, for, I don't know, a few weeks or something. And when she came back, I was like, I missed you. Like, don't do that again. <laughs> and I was like, now I understand what my clients see when they say I miss you. And there's kind of a love and devotion that you have for somebody to give your heart to like that. Like, you pour all of your secrets and the things that nobody else has heard yes. of or even wants to listen to. So I'm happy you finally realized that it does. It, you are not doing fraud work. You're actually doing real stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I know that you've been very public about an experience that some may criticize as contradictory to the work that you do. But I see it as a testimony. I'm sure you do because I've read your posts and things related to it. Can you tell us more about the infidelity you've experienced in your marriage and the process of publicly recovering from it? Yeah, sure. So my Aaron admitted to a pornography addiction um, a couple of years ago. And... Here's your chapter of therapist exclusive, right? Along with that pornography addiction, also came like actual physical infidelities where he admitted to being with other people. Mm. And so part of that was not only that I had to deal with it, but again, he held a position within the church. And so I don't really think it was public, like the entire church knew about it. But when he had to step down from his position, there was speculation 
no one really knew, but it was kind of like, why is he stepping down from a position that obviously he loves and he's been caught to do or whatever, right? And so I, I struggled um, privately, and I just really feel like the Lord was giving me permission to blog about it, which I did for a little while, and a website is currently under construction, so the blog isn't up right now. But me blogging about it publicly was a great healing part for me just because I knew that someone else could relate. And, oh, my goodness, I imagined that someone else out there could relate, but I did not realize how many people would relate, right? I didn't realize how many emails or how many phone calls or uh, how many people would be in my inbox telling me that they're going through something similar. And so I really just felt like, okay, this is confirmation that I'm doing the right thing because people know, they now know, they're not alone. Like, this happens. It's part of life. It's not your fault. There's absolutely nothing you can do about it. He has to take responsibility for his own crap. And that's just that's just where I was with it. It was great, though, because Aaron was always in support of me doing whatever I needed to do to heal. Right. And so while my blogging about it caused a lot of shame and increased the guilt that he was already feeling, he was okay with it because it was helping my healing process. And did you know initially, like when he broke the news, did you immediately know, like, we're going to restore this and we're going to be okay? Or was there a period of uncertainty for you where you didn't know what you would do? I knew. I always knew that we would restore and we would be okay. Um, I didn't let him know that I knew that because, again, this is a huge betrayal, and I'm trying real hard to meet you with grace, but let's be for real. Like, he heard some choice words, and he had to leave our house, and I went out and got another apartment that I paid for for six whole months, but I never moved into it because I felt like the Lord hadn't given me permission to move into it, right? And so I always knew that we would restore, but that was also largely based on what he decided to do because the decision always laid with him. Even you would get the help that you need and you would do the healing and I'll do my part and then we can do our part because at that point, you're talking about three three different systems that have to heal. Like he has to do his part and I have to do my part and then we have to do our part for the marriage. But it was always dependent on whether or not, whether or not we stayed together was always dependent on whether or not he did his part. We're going to take a short break and then we'll be back with Trap Therapist, the radio show. So did he ever talk about why he was honest? Because, I mean, a lot of guys and women, I'm sure, are doing this kind of stuff, but that's tough. Like, you never know how the other person is going to respond. So there's, number one, just the shame of kind of keeping it going because you don't know what else to do, but then not knowing if it's going to break up your entire family. So what pushed him to be courageous enough to open up about it? Oh, he got caught. (laughs) Oh, okay. I saw some messages between him and someone else. And at that point, I was like, this is your one and only chance to let the truth come out of your mouth, right? And so at that moment, he said, 
yes, this has been happening, whatever that was. And then he said, okay. And I also believe I have a porn addiction. Like I've been watching porn every day for however long and all of this stuff. And it was kind of eye opening because it was like flashback for me. I remember when we were dating and I was doing some stuff in his email and I came across a ton of porn sites and I asked him then, do you have a porn addiction? And he said, no. And I said, okay, I didn't think anything of, anything of it. At the time, I'm not even sure that I knew what a porn addiction was, other than the fact that I knew you could literally be addicted to anything. Right. Right. But you're talking like eight, nine, ten years ago. And so fast forward now, hindsight is always twenty twenty, And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. I have always known from when I asked that question even though it hasn't been a part of our lives, if that makes sense. Because he did a darn good job hiding it. When he, I mean, when he admitted it, I had absolutely no idea. Wow. And I love how you mentioned, though, that it's not the other person's fault. But I also wonder how many people think it is. Because when we think about cheating and we think about porn addictions, it's like, well, what am I not enough of for you that you have to go out and do X, Y, and Z? So I think it will be helpful as listeners to hear maybe even how you explain it to your clients who are in similar positions and the person who's the victim of it, how they should conceptualize the act. Like, what, what does that mean in terms of their attractiveness or the frequency at which they, you know, have sex or whatever, what have you? Yeah, it's interesting because it really does take a toll on your self-esteem. And especially if you are a woman in the position, you're questioning everything. Like, am I good enough? Was the sex not good enough? Like, do you find me attractive? And I mean everything. And sometimes you even ask yourself, what is it that I could do better to make this go away? It almost Mm -hmm. feels like a personal attack, right? But I think what we want to remember is that it's not a personal attack. The reality of it is that for most people who suffer with a porn or sex addiction is that it's a coping mechanism. So in Aaron's case, whenever he was stressed out or Work was getting so much, no matter what it was, when he needed to cope, he would watch porn. The problem with the addiction is that it makes you feel good, but then you find yourself in a cycle where you feel good when you watch it, but then you feel like crap immediately after. And to make Mm -hmm. yourself feel better again, you watch it again. So when you look at it just as a person, it's just how they choose to cope, right? It's their coping mechanism. That has absolutely nothing to do with you. I totally agree. And I think that, you know, it's a lot more common than people would admit to. Like, I remember a couple uh, years ago, maybe it was a little longer, that I believe Kurt Franklin came out and admitted to it. Um, I've had clients where, you know, even in going through intake, asking about, you know, what do you do to cope with your anxiety or something? And the number of people who admit to either a porn addiction or like, well, if I'm anxious, I just masturbate. You know, I I never knew until I became a therapist that it was so frequent, you know, that people use stuff like this as a escape. So I think the way you've explained it is is completely true. Yeah, it's... Are there times, though, where, you know, you're working with a couple and maybe the person who cheated agrees, 
that, yeah, you know, you didn't do it for me or I'm not as attractive to you because you gained weight or whatever. Is that ever a thing? And infidelity, where infidelity okay. is just, it is what it is, not where there's an addiction present. Okay. I would say the majority of couples I've seen where there's an actual addiction present it really has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with their spouse. Uh, infidelity, on the other hand, in general, is like an opportunity thing for most people. I think people don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, I think I'll cheat on my spouse today. Mm-hmm. That's not what happens. It's really like opportunity is someone else showing you attention. And when you're thinking of an affair in itself, it's this fantasy world. I can escape here. And it's, it's like an island from real life. There's no bills. There's no kids to talk about. We don't need to talk about what errands need to be ran. You know, it's just every time you see this person, he looks handsome or she looks beautiful. Like their hair is always done. You don't see what you would see in a real marriage. Mm -hmm. Like you're not waking up to their morning breath. You don't don't know what she looks like when her braids come down. It's a fantasy, so no, I don't. I don't think I see that where an important okay. addiction is. Now, how has experiencing this on your own made you a better therapist for the couples that you see? You know, I believe that it has made me understand more when someone say, "A part of me wants to leave." but a part of me wants to stay, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this concept called internal family systems or IFS, and it's this idea that each person is made up of parts. And so their parts is like their mind and then their subsystems of that. So when someone says to me now, part of me wants to do this, but part of me feels like that, and part of me really wants to do this, it's all there. Like I fully understand it. And then when someone is sitting in my office and they are just bawling their eyes out, I feel like I can also fully understand that on a personal level because there's no words for what you're experiencing. And I think not enough therapists tap into their personal experiences that could kind of fuel their understanding and empathy for for clients. I'm always, you know, kind of, as my clients are talking, I'm trying to, teeter through my mind to figure out, like, when have I felt the way they felt? Even if it's not necessarily in the same scenario, when have I felt sadness or the joy that they're experiencing or the fear? Because I think that tapping into that emotion gives such a deep level of empathy that then empowers the therapeutic relationship. So, I mean, I know that this wasn't a good experience for you, and I'm sure to some extent that you guys are still rebuilding, but I see it as beautiful because of the work that you do. And I think sometimes we want to hold up mantles, but then we don't really want whatever comes with that. And maybe God wanted you to, you know, experience it so you could be there for your clients in a different kind of way. I try to look at silver lining and things and, you know, because hope is kind of all we have. But yeah, I think, I think it's powerful, you know, like I don't want to go to a therapist and that's kind of the, the, nature of trap therapists in itself, I wouldn't want to go to a therapist that I didn't feel like knew where I was coming from on certain things. 
So I think yeah. that, you know, the number of emails and calls that you got after that was because people want somebody who can relate to them and not just somebody who's speaking from knowledge or, you know, something they were taught That's in school. Textbook. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. It gets difficult. I mean, I remember when I got to the place where I just had to say to myself, I mean, you are collateral damage in this, which sounds really harsh. But it's truly what it was. You know, nothing in me believes that Aaron wanted to cause me pain. Even yeah. though he knew what he was doing was wrong, even though he knew if I ever found out what would happen, at least he thought he knew because clearly I'm still with him and he thought we would be divorced by now. So. Wow. <laughs> but, you know, you get to a point where you just say, let me find a qualified therapist to actually help me because not everyone can deal with infidelity. And furthermore, not everyone can deal with some type of sex addiction. Mm-hmm. Now, really is that hard in, in your area? Because, you know, obviously when we all hear about Flint, we hear about the lack of water. So when I think about therapists, I'm like, well, if they don't even have clean water then how do you find a quality therapist? So how does the network work out there? Like, are there people? There are people. Yeah, there's plenty of therapists around. Um, and, you know, there's plenty of organizations around to help people with therapy. I provide a specialty service, so I only see couples, and I'm only going to see an individual if it has something to do with the relationship, right? And so I provide a specialty service, I don't do a ton of advertising. People typically find me or word of mouth spreads pretty quickly because Flint is pretty small. Um, but it still comes with some shame because at this point, if you've seen my website or anything, you could assume that if you're coming to see me, it's probably because of infidelity. Yeah. I would say that's about 90% of the reason my clients walk through the door. And so... People do. And listen, I have seen pastors, pastors' wives, people who work at our colleges. I mean, you just never know who needs the help. But kudos Mm -hmm. to them for being able to reach out. Yeah, totally. And kudos to you for being available. So I have two questions based on what you just said now. One is a bit of an aside because I do want this to be beneficial to those who may be listening and are licensed therapists themselves, uh, specializing. We hear a lot about that, but then some of us may think, well, that'll limit me and I won't get as many clients because I'm in a niche kind of area. How has that been for you? I mean, has it reduced the caseload? Has it helped it? Could you speak to us a little bit more about the process of specializing? Yeah, so my business coach put it to me this way. Be a specialist, right? Be the reason someone comes to you for something. Anyone can be a generalist, but not everyone can be a specialist, right? And so do I turn away a lot of people? Do I refer a lot of people out? Absolutely. I also don't accept insurance right now. I'm private pay. And that is probably the majority of the reason that I'm turning people away. But I think when people are looking for someone, they really want to know that the specific issue that I have, you can actually deal with. Right. I'm probably not going to go to a family doctor to deliver my baby. I'm like, no, find me an OB. 
Right. Give me someone mm-hmm. who specializes, who does this day in and day out. Because I just need to know that you can deal with it. And I think when people are in, you know, dire straits and kind of ready to change, and I think that's something that we as therapists see, you have people who will come, but then they're not ready. And being private pay and specializing, I think it kind of weeds out some of the people who are just kind of there to say they're there. Like when I used to take insurance, because I don't take it anymore either, I would have people who, you know, they didn't pay anything because the insurance paid the whole thing. And they would come like every week and really not do their homework or anything. They weren't really invested in it. But once I said, hey, I'm not taking this anymore and this is what my fee is, it's like, well, let me get my money's worth. You know, so I think it kind of starts to empty on how serious people are. And I would agree with you, too. You know, we don't, we as therapists don't have time to waste, and I don't think people's time deserves to be wasted either. So I have a specific type of client that I want to work with and that I best with. And I think that that's fair to be kind of discriminatory in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, you don't want me as a therapist if I can't help you. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And then oh, who wants somebody who's a, a jack of all trades and a master of none? Exactly. And that's the beauty of private practice. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's private practice, so it ebbs and it flows. Uh, there's only a consistent paycheck if you're doing the work, if you're booking the clients, if you're booking the speaking engagement. You know, at the end of the day, the amount of money you make is almost solely dependent on what you're willing to put into it. But I really feel like I could spend 40 hours a week working for an agency or I could spend 40 hours a week building my own. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would rather do. But let me just say, we also glorify entrepreneurship like it's not a lot of work. Oh, no. It is work, girl. (laughs) (laughs) So those 40 hours a week that I would work at an agency would probably only be 40 hours. But right now, I'm putting in way more than 40 hours, especially when you have to do everything yourself. You know, you've got to be the bookkeeper, and you've got to answer the phones. You have to provide the therapy, and you have to do the entire business side of it. It's a lot of work. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back with Trap Therapist, the radio show. And what I do say about, like, jobs, you know, you go clock in and clock out. And, you know, if you work eight hours that day, you probably really only did about two or three hours of work. You just <laughs> sat around and talked to your coworkers and, you know. But if I said I worked 40 hours at my private practice, that means I've seen 40 clients and I've listened to 50 minutes times 40 worth of information. And yep. it's tiring. You know, it's, it's really a lot. And like you said, people do glorify it. Like, I want to be my own boss. But, you know, to be your own boss and actually make money from it, you still got to be just as disciplined as the boss who you didn't like probably was on you. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's not fun and games at all. And, it, you know, it does take a lot of sacrifices. Like, transparency moment, I got off work. I was contracted to work out of state for this month. So I've been back and forth uh, doing that. I had to pull over because I had a three and a half hour drive home. I pulled over to have our interview. So I'm in a restaurant parking lot right now talking to you. 
And then I'll, when we get done, I have another meeting, and then I'll get back on the road. And that's what entrepreneurship looks like, flexibility. Yes. It's a lot of work. Kudos to you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, girl. I didn't do it for the kudos. <laughs> it's more so to tell people, like, this is what it takes. And if you want this, I mean, so who much is given, much is definitely required. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, my second question, you mentioned church, and you talked about having some pastors and um, pastors' wives who often come to you. And it made me wonder, how did the church respond to your husband's infidelity? And, you know, what role do you think the church has when it comes to mental health, especially in situations like this? So the church actually responded to Aaron's infidelity. I, I think they were great, again. I don't believe that the whole church know, right? But our lead pastor definitely knew about it, and he was great in supporting Aaron in the transition and um, making sure he got connected to some kind of help and then just giving him some spiritual guidance. And he was really there for him and for us in the sense of what are you doing? And some, some real advice like you were about to lose, the best thing that ever happened to you, what's your plan? Like, what do you even want? Do you even know at this point? Right. So he was there. That was great. Um, What do I think about the church and mental health as a whole? I think we have to be more supportive of the fact that people have mental issues. Right. Like, well, we can't just go around acting like the Bible wasn't just full of dysfunction. And so yes, if the Bible was full of dysfunction, and that's what we believe, mm-hmm. and then our lives are full of dysfunction, it's like you can't tell me this stuff wasn't real because I'm literally reading it every day. Right. And so I think I would just like to see the church do a better job where mental health is concerned because we've really dropped the ball and we've got to get to the point where we're back to treating the body and the soul and not just the soul. Mm-hmm. That's, so That's true. my big thing with the church. And I think that oftentimes, you know, overarching religious values are kind of used to explain why you should stay. And then nobody ever deals with your feelings. So it's like, well, God doesn't like divorce. And then that's all you get. But what about how it makes me feel that I have to deal with the fact that my spouse cheated or, you know, my spouse is physically abusive or, you know, any number of other things. No one talks about that at church. It's just you're given this general maxim and expected to just perform based on what that says. And that's tough. That is true. Or the whole, uh, you should forgive. Mm-hmm. And I'm over here like, okay, but I'm going to cuss you out first. Right. <laughs> right. Let's see how much forgiving you're going to do when I'm done. But, and I might cut you out a few times, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but it is true. And, again, it is just something that we have to think about. I mean, our pastors, our leaders, the majority of them in the church are not mental health professionals. And so a lot of times I think that they can do more damage then they do good or then they do helping others um, with some of the stuff they say. So, for example, our pastor actually said to me that I was codependent. And I was like, okay, this isn't going to work anymore. And we never went back to him for another session. Not mm-hmm. by any fault of his, 
but understand what codependency is and that that's not what we're talking about right now. And it's also a big thing when you talk about infidelities and porn addictions. The big thing for a long time used to be that therapists were telling spouses that they were codependent. And it's like, how did you come to that conclusion? How does that relate? (laughs) I don't get how that relates at all. Yes, exactly. So you're doing more damage than you're doing good. But fortunately for me, I knew better. But imagine if you go to someone in a leadership position in your church and you're telling them you're having these issues within your relationship and they say, oh, you're just codependent. You need to go find your own thing and do all of this stuff. And it's like, I came here for help. And now you've made me feel like crap because you've made me feel like everything is my fault. Right. Wow. That is, I mean, that I can't believe knowing what codependency is. I'm like, I don't think I see the relation. <laughs> And it makes me wonder if people are using words that they don't know they don't what know. they mean. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so, so, go ahead. I was going to ask, and I don't know if this is something that you were going to talk about, but how can listeners determine if they're in a toxic relationship or if they're in one that just needs to be strengthened? Because, I mean, sometimes you don't know, do I stay or do I leave or what? will this get better? Will it not? What are some signs, if you can kind of list some? Because I know it is probably case by case. Yeah, that's really hard to say. But if you're in a relationship with a person who keeps apologizing for doing the same thing over and over, it's probably toxic. If you're in a relationship with the person who makes you feel like everything is your fault or simply tells you that I did this because you did that, it's probably toxic. If you're starting to see some of those narcissistic characteristics, it's probably toxic. Relationships that need to be strengthened can be difficult, especially if your strength area or the area that needs to be strengthened is that of communication. Mm. But you would know if you're in a relationship that just needs to be strengthened because you could probably see some changes that the other person or that both of you are truly trying. You just keep falling back into the same pattern, right? So you take something really simple as uh, you keep leaving your keys on my kitchen counter. Like you're trying, you put them there and then you realize they were there and then you pick them up and you move them. You put them there and that irritates me, but because you picked them up, I see that you're making a conscious decision like, you're really trying. So relationships that need to be strengthened um, are just that. And they're usually not, there's usually not any type of, like, physical aggression or anything like that. I would just say to people, though, if you, it's okay not to know where you are. And if you're married, it doesn't mean that you have to divorce. Just be okay with separating. Like, if you need to take some time for yourself, that's okay, too. You can do that. You can separate from your spouse without divorcing your spouse if you feel like that's what it's going to take to work things out. And I love the idea of not being sure and being okay with that space because I think that, you know, when things happen, we do immediately go, especially if we're from 
the areas like where you and I are from, you go into like survival mode. So what do I do next? How do I get rid of this particular instance? And when it comes to marriage, a lot of times that means you do go straight to divorce or, you know, your, mm-hmm. your options start being explored. So I like the idea of just sitting in the space that you are of ambivalence and then going to a mental health professional to help you sort it all out because that's what we're supposed to do. You don't have to come in with it all figured out. And that's something common that we have with church. A lot of people avoid therapy and they avoid church because they're like, well, I'm going to go once I get my life together. I mean, I've even had, had, I've had clients say, well, I think I'm going to take a pause on therapy right now because I need to get myself together. Well, what were we doing? Yeah, that is true. (laughs) Come as you are, uncertain, confused, whatever, just bring it. Yeah, you don't need to have it figured out. And it's important Mm -hmm. not to always react out of pure emotion, which is what most of us do. I feel this way, so this must be true. When the reality is that it's probably not. It's just the way you feel. It's true for you in the moment, but I could say, you know, I feel like Aaron did this on purpose, and it's like, oh, he made the decision. So I guess depending on how you look at it, it's on purpose. But nothing in me believes he woke up one morning and said, I'm going to break my wife's heart on purpose. Yeah. I agree. Now, I know that there's a huge nationwide push to find quality African-American mental professionals. So for those who might be listening and, you know, you are speaking right up their driveway, you're in their lane, and they're like, I want to keep up with her, what, how do they do that? And then do you also offer telehealth? Because I think that, that could be an option as well if somebody feels like they really want to see you. Yeah, so we do. We offer telehealth if you live in the state of Michigan. If not, okay. then we do offer coaching um, online, and we can be reached at the Christian Wellness Center. A simple Google search. The website is www.thechristianwellnesscenter.com, and you can follow us on Instagram at Christian Wellness Center. Or you can give us a phone call. We can be reached at 810-771-8948. Okay, perfect. And for those who may not be Christian, does that mean they can't come or? No, everyone can come. The Christian is really just a standard that um, myself and the other people who work in the office that we strive to live by. But you don't have to be Christian to come see us. We are not pushing scripture down your neck. We don't do that. We meet you where you are. Okay. I figured that was the case, but I know that sometimes people who aren't in the field, they, you know, they see words and they're like, well, that's not for me because I don't believe in anything, but okay. So that's good to know. So if y'all are listening, she is the therapist for you and you feel like you want to connect with her, then please reach out using one of the modalities that she said. Um, I think that this has been an amazing interview. I love the transparency, the realness. And I'm, I mean, I'm appreciative for it, and I hope that people have listened and that they've been healed just by listening and maybe even encouraged to go seek help because I think that that's one of the things that I at least learned is that anything is recoverable if there's effort. Yes. So I really am grateful. 
Um, I know that we have to do our trap trivia, which everybody has some trepidation about, but I promise you we're going to knock this one out the park. Okay. So, <laughs> okay, so your question is, name a celebrity who is not a mental health professional but does related work. That's easy. I'm sure 1,500 are coming to your mind right now. Um, Tarazi? See, okay, easy. Very, very yeah. easy. So, Tarazi. You know, and I was thinking, so I, Trap Therapist recently released some T-shirts, and, well, we released one so far, but we're going to release the entire line of, it's called our homage line, and there's one that says Nipsey, the Nipsey Hustle of Social Work, Counseling, Marriage and Family Therapy, uh. you get to pick your specialty. And, you know, there are so many people who are out here doing the work of us, you know, without the title, and I, I just love it, and I think that Taraji's definitely one of them. Nipsey, while he was here, he was certainly doing some community development, which we as yes. professionals do. Um, TI, even. I mean, there are so many examples just across the media. Thank you for listening to Trap Therapist, the radio show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. To stay connected to the Trap Therapist community, follow us on Instagram at Trap Therapist.